it is those future things that we have been looking to in the last several weeks, and we've tried to point out uh, thus far a few of the prominent features of God's prophetic mountain range. And we began to speak about this marvelous event, the rapture, uh, which is going to be the next significant prophetic event. If you're looking for what's going to happen next, from a future point of view, it's the rapture. And in this event, Christians, this only involves Christians, are going to be caught up, seized lovingly by the Lord Jesus Christ, who we will meet in the air. And that makes things uh, infinitely permanent because the Bible says from that point on we shall always be with the Lord and then immediately subsequent to the rapture we spoke about this next event the judgment seat of Christ and this too involves only believers only Christians and here there isn't judgment with respect to salvation uh, that issue has already been settled with respect to the believer. Uh, the Lord Jesus Christ has already been judged for our sin to the extent that we accept that uh, the Father no longer has a case against us. The case is dismissed because the Lord Jesus Christ has been judged for us. So what happens at the judgment seat of Christ has nothing to do with our salvation. It has to do with our service, our deeds in the body. To what extent did we make good use of the resources, financial and others that the Lord has given us? How have we used our time and the spiritual gifts he has given to each of us? Have we done things for his glory? And so at the judgment seat of Christ, there will be the uh, disbursement of rewards for good and faithful service. And then we spoke about this evil one, the Antichrist, who is not a principle or a concept. He's actually a person. And we've been spending the last few weeks to try to come to grips with him. And I'm pleased to say that uh, this evening we'll be done with him. We're going to finish him off uh, this evening. And uh, thank God the Lord Jesus Christ is the one I'll show you tonight who's going to finish him off eternally. So we're going to talk a little more about the Antichrist uh, tonight. And in order to do so, we'll continue to examine a passage of Scripture uh, containing the words of the Apostle Paul when he sought to instruct a relatively new group of Christians called the Thessalonians with regard to future things. So let's pick up where we left off. It's 2 Thessalonians uh, chapter 2, verse 3. And Paul exhorts the Thessalonian Christians as follows. He says, Let no one in any way deceive you, for it will not come. And I mentioned to you that the context there reveals that the it, which Paul is speaking of, is something called the day of the Lord, which is inaugurated by an event called 
the great tribulation. And these poor Thessalonians were experiencing much trouble because they were outspoken Christians. And in the midst of the trials they were experiencing, they labored under the misconception that they had missed out on the rapture and thus found themselves in the great tribulation which this filled them with with much dismay because Paul had taught them that they will avoid the wrath to come. They won't go through the tribulation, but that the rapture can come at any moment and it will precede the tribulation. Well, they said to themselves, with the help of some false teachers, we must have missed out on the rapture because we now find ourselves in the great tribulation period. And so Paul says, no, 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 no. Don't be deceived. It, the great tribulation, will not come unless, and then he points out two significant events which must precede, don't get this wrong, not the rapture, nothing has to precede the rapture. These two events which Paul is speaking of have to precede the great tribulation subsequent to the rapture, and here they are. The apostasy has to come first. Not an apostasy, but a time of very extreme apostasy on a global scale. And then the second event, which must precede the great tribulation, is that the man of lawlessness, otherwise known as the Antichrist, must be revealed. He's also called here the son of destruction. And so he has not yet been revealed yet, and the great global apostasy has not yet occurred. And therefore, Paul is assuring the Thessalonians, you've not been left behind. God did not forget you. You did not miss out on the rapture. You're just confused here. You're not in the tribulation period because these events must precede it. They have not. Therefore, you're not in it yet. So he goes on in verse 4 of the text to say to them, with regard to the son of destruction, the Antichrist, who opposes and exalts himself above every so-called God or object of worship, so that he takes his seat in the temple of God. Now that has not happened yet. And one of the reasons it hasn't happened yet is that there ain't no temple yet. Therefore, it has to be rebuilt in order for the Antichrist to take his seat in it, displaying himself as being from God. And so, folks, uh, you see here the ancient desire of Satan through his son, through his prime representative, the Antichrist, and it is to receive worship as over against the one true God. That is Satan's desire. And so he is intent on replacing, particularly as the times unfold, he wants to replace the true worship of the true God with worship given to himself. And so he will have his Antichrist proclaim himself as being God. Remember, he's the anti. God, the Antichrist. So whatever is true of Christ 
the evil one seeks to parody or counterfeit through his own incarnation the Antichrist. So if the real Christ had a coming, the Antichrist has a coming. If the real Christ exhibited signs and wonders, the Antichrist will exhibit signs and wonders. If the real Christ is to be the recipient of worship, ah, then the Antichrist must receive worship. And this is, in fact, what will happen during the Great Tribulation period. But notice uh, that the Antichrist is only a parody of the real Christ, and so in the end, as the text says, he can only display himself as being God. He's not God. He can only display himself as being God. And then Paul says in verse 5, Do you not remember that while I was still with you, I was telling you these things? I find that remarkable. Uh, These are new Christians. They're only probably a few months old in the Lord, these who lived at Thessalonica. And yet Paul says quite clearly, while I was there, I taught you these prophetic, these future things. This was really a rebuke to me because I have, frankly, I'm ashamed to tell you, for years set aside this specialized area of prophecy for those who are experts in it. I haven't really studied it too much. And I'm ashamed to see, good night, we ought to, if we want to uh, take in the full counsel of God. And Paul didn't even hold prophetic teaching from these new Christians. So how much more, those of us who have walked with Christ for a number of years, how much more should we know at least what the key features of God's prophetic mountain range are. And now Paul says in verse 6, and you know what restrains him, the him is the Antichrist, you new Christians, you Thessalonian Christians, you know what restrains him now so that in his time he will be revealed. I mentioned to you last time that it's an exercise in futility to try to identify who the Antichrist is now because he's only to be revealed later. And until he's revealed, you can't know who he is for sure. It's only guesswork, speculation. And I mentioned that if you could clearly identify the Antichrist, you in a heap of trouble because he's not going to be revealed until he demands worship in the temple which will stand in Jerusalem during the time known as the Great Tribulation. So Paul says to the Thessalonians, something restrains him now. Something restrains him from taking over, from dominating, from leading the nations astray. And this thing that restrained him apparently was known to the Thessalonians. So Paul says, you know, these new Christians, you know what restrains him. But folks, some 2,000 years removed from the text... We're not so clear on it. And so in order to know what is it that's restraining the Antichrist today, we have to do a little more thinking and study than these who in the first century uh, received the teaching directly from Paul. So we ask the question, what is the restraining influence on the Antichrist which at present is keeping him under wraps? Well, we get a clue in the next verse, verse 7. 
For the mystery of lawlessness, says Paul, is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. Now we find out that what is restraining the Antichrist is not an it. The restraint on the Antichrist is being done by a he. Notice the masculine pronoun, he. Well, now we sit back and we scratch our heads. This is what you do when you study the Bible. And you say, okay, I can't know who the Antichrist is for sure because he's being restrained. That's number one. Number two, we're told that he's being restrained by something. Uh, Number three, we're told he's being restrained not by a something, but by a someone. And now we have to step back and say, who is that someone? Now here, I'm just going to offer to you what I think the answer is. But once again, we're free to differ on some of these things. I think the he is none other than the Holy Spirit of God who frankly alone, being divine, fully God, has the capacity to do this, to restrain the Antichrist. He cannot be restrained by any other force or influence because he, the Antichrist, is empowered by Satan himself. I must tell you, we are no match for him apart from the authority which the Lord Jesus bequeaths to us. And so he is restrained by God himself in the form of the Holy Spirit. But how does the Holy Spirit restrain this tendency towards uh, the lawlessness of the Antichrist? Look around, my fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. The Holy Spirit's restraining influence on the Antichrist is through the church of Jesus Christ. Now, folks, there are some today who are questioning the relevance of the church. Now, I don't think it's so harmful to question the way we do church. I hope that isn't a harmful venture. We want to keep up and be relevant. But some are questioning the very legitimacy and purpose of the church. Let me tell you one of the purposes. The Holy Spirit who indwells every member of the worldwide church of Jesus Christ, it's the Holy Spirit working through the church who is restraining the otherwise unbounded, unbridled, outpouring of anti-God, anti-Christian influence which will befall the entire world when? When the church is taken out. After the rapture. Then there isn't salt and light. That's us, folks. Salt and light. When the church is raptured, caught up to be with the Lord in the air, Satan moves in. This is his opportunity because there's now a power vacuum, don't you see? And so he will fill it. The church is gone. The church through whom the Holy Spirit restrains unbridled tendencies of evil is raptured. Satan fills the power void with his own Antichrist who will sign a covenant, so-called covenant of peace, with Israel and other nations in the Middle East to rebuild the temple. 
that will take place at the beginning of the great tribulation period. We're reading about it. We're talking about it. But we will not be experiencing it because the rapture of the church will come first and it accounts for the fact that the Antichrist will have full sway in that day. But, Paul says, even now, uh, though the Antichrist is yet to be revealed, even now, the mystery of lawlessness is all ready at work. And I know you know it to be true because it's this which is so disconcerting to ones such as you and I. We are disgusted, are we not, with what today is rendered illegal and what is permitted. We're disgusted with the laws of man which are absolutely contrary to the higher laws of God. We're disgusted with ongoing increasing encroachment on the rights of Christians and yet the extension of all kinds of legal permission to engage in acts of ungodly immorality the likes of which sent Jesus to the cross. It's this mystery of lawlessness. Now, when you read the term mystery in the Bible, it doesn't mean mystery in the sense that you have to figure it out like a detective mystery, like an Agatha Christie mystery. Who did it? Is it the butler? Follow the cues? No, that's not what the Bible means when it says mystery. It means a truth, a a revelation which cannot be apprehended by mere intelligence or thinking of man. It is something which has to be divinely revealed. It's not available otherwise to the natural mentality of man. If God doesn't reveal these mysteries, we cannot know it. So why is this called a mystery of lawlessness? I'll tell you why. Because unless God shows you who is behind the tendency, you don't know it's Satan himself, the lawless one. Unless God reveals the mystery of lawlessness, you don't know what it is. You think it's some political party who has to be voted out of office. You are so time-bound and limited in your conception. You don't understand there's a cosmic battle behind the scenes and it's between Satan and Savior and whatever God declares to be true and right and the basis of a secure and stable society. Things like marriage and family. You don't know Satan must oppose it. And he is. California just voted the legitimacy of same-gender marriage. And you say, good night, it's those liberals in California. It's a land of fruits and nuts. That's the problem. No, even though you're right about that, that's not the, that's not the explanation. The mystery of lawlessness is not a mystery to those of us who have had the explanation revealed. It's Satan behind it all. Marriage and family is the foundation of any society which wishes to perpetuate itself. Once that fundamental building block is eroded, society falls apart. Folks, that's what's happening to us. 
So it's the mystery of lawlessness. You can't see Satan to be behind it unless God opens your eyes through his word, through the scriptures. Don't take it for granted when you're disgusted by all these things. Don't take for granted. Look what God showed you. It's not a mystery any longer what's going on on a worldwide global scale. You know the evil one knows his time is short and he's quite actively engaged in overturning all of the things God has put in place for the foundation and well-being of society. But this lawlessness, remember I told you, this doesn't mean the absence of law. Good night. We have more lawyers and law schools and law books and legislation and laws than at any time in the history of humankind. This is not lawlessness in the sense of the absence of law. It's the absence of God's moral standards as the foundation of society. That's the mystery of lawlessness. And here's something else that is otherwise mysterious about lawlessness. Unless God shows you, it's this. Throughout history, we have had the opportunity to observe what happens to people and governments and nations when they seek to live independent of God. We have this record. Look at every nation on earth that has turned its back on Creator God and taken on a pantheon of false gods instead. They have come and they have gone. So we have this visible record of what happens when individuals and nations seek to live independent of God. And yet, here's the mystery of lawlessness, we keep craving independence from God. That's a mystery. We keep doing the same things Humankind has done throughout its history to its own decay, deterioration, and demise, and we keep doing those things. I will have my own way. If it feels good, I will do it. No restraint. You see, every man did what was right in his own eyes. This is a mystery that we're not learning from those who've gone before us, from prior generations, from the history of mankind. But it's not a mystery for those of us who've been enlightened by uh, the Lord Jesus Christ. The heart is desperately wicked. Who can even comprehend it? The mystery is resolved because we know it is our nature to sin. We are conceived in it. And we prove it every day. We do the same futile, lawless, sinful things others all around us do. And we see the consequences and effect in their lives and we keep doing it. That's the mystery of lawlessness. Don't you see it? And Paul says it's already at work. The Antichrist, the man of lawlessness, will be revealed. But the tendency towards it is already at work. Now, if that was true 2,000 years ago when Paul wrote, speak of lawlessness. <laughs> that little doll is proving. 
No restraint, uncontrolled. I'll cry if I want to. Thank you for that illustration. <laughs> Folks, if this was true 2,000 years ago, the mystery of lawlessness is already at work, then good night, how much more is it true today? So when you get upset and disgusted by all the stuff going on, did I hear this right on the news this morning? There's a children's hospital performing sex change operations on children as young as seven in the United States founded on Christian principles of America. You tell me that isn't the mystery of lawlessness already at work. And it, what does it do to you? It just turns you every which way. It, it, it upsets you and it grieves your spirit. And that's because you have the very Holy Spirit of God in you. You're supposed to be grieved by it all, folks. But it must be this way. It has to be this way. And all of these things are just the birth pangs. We'll talk about it in weeks to come. But anyway, for now, the mystery of lawlessness, says Paul, is already at work. And he goes on to say in 2 Thessalonians uh, chapter 2, verse 8, Then, that's a time indicator. He has spoken about now, and the now is a little disconcerting. But then he says, then, then that lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord will slay. How? With the breath of his mouth and bring to an end. How? By the appearance of his coming. After the removal of restraint, after the rapture of the church, indwelt and empowered by the Holy Spirit, after that, the lawless one will be revealed and the world will plunge headlong into lawlessness. The lawless one, the Antichrist, the son of destruction, will lead the world away from God. He will have a massive measure of success in so doing, he being empowered by Satan. However, as powerful indeed, as is this powerful one, he is to be destroyed, do you see it? By the mere breath of the Lord Jesus, he will speak. And that will be the end of Antichrist. Whom the Lord will slay with the breath of his mouth. Antichrist will indeed control mankind during the tribulation period. But Antichrist is absolutely no match for Jesus Christ. Whose side, therefore, do you wish to be on? The Lord will slay him with the very breath of his mouth and bring him to an end by the mere appearance of his coming, in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ at his second coming. The Antichrist 
will appear to be nothing. He will shrink. And so after the seven years of great tribulation, the Antichrist, by the mere breath of the word of God and the mere appearance of his coming, will be immobilized forevermore. And his program will be brought to nothing in the very presence of the Lord Jesus Christ at his second coming. The world will stand in awe of the lawless one, but the lawless one cannot stand in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ at his coming. Who then will you serve? An ancient hymn writer wrote, Oh, come, Messiah, come again, and rid the world of death and sin. Return thou, risen Savior and King, that heaven and earth at last may sing. My fellow Christians, seeking to live by the laws of Jesus Christ. Do not look to the coming of Antichrist. Look hopefully instead to the coming of Jesus Christ. Lord Jesus, it is in your name that we bow and even offer this prayer. We address our remarks and ourself to you and you alone. We bow before none other, for indeed there is no other like you. You have clearly proven yourself to be Messiah, risen from the dead. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for making it clear to us as over against pretenders to your throne that you, Lord Jesus, are he, the one who has come with words of eternal life. And, O God, though we are distressed for sure and will become increasingly so as the Antichrist comes to the fore, even so, Lord Jesus, you have filled us with a hopeful expectation of ultimate triumph and victory Uh, For what we see is not a battle between equals. No, it's a creaturely being, Antichrist, against you, Creator, Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you now that we could submit to you, yield to you, and in our lifestyle offer living proof to a watching world of you. Lord Jesus, hold us together as a community of believers indwelt and empowered by the Holy Spirit to live lawfully, not caving in under the influence of the world and the evil one. We look forward, Lord Jesus, to the time when you come to take us home. We want to be ready for the judgment seat of Christ, during which time we hope to hear you say to each of us, well done, good and faithful servant. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.